I think it's time we did a review. We've been walking through the Bible, and so this morning I thought we would uh, just review the books that we have gone through. So together, let's recite the books that we have gone through. Okay, good. I always like to make sure that you're with me on this. So uh, we are continuing to, to walk through God's Word. I believe that the Bible is the story of God, and in it it reveals the story of man. It was D.L. Moody who said the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. And as we go through the Bible, that's what my hope is, that as we continue to see the faithfulness of God, that we will understand that we are created by God for God. And while man in his disobedience saw paradise broken, paradise taken away from him, there is that redemptive plan that runs throughout the scriptures. From Genesis to the book of Revelation, it is a book of hope that is founded in the faithfulness of our God. Despite man being content to do his own thing, God continues to be faithful. Last week we took a look at creation, the fall and the flood, and looking at it that God created all things. And that was their starting point. In the beginning, God. And we recognize that God is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's eternal God. God would create everything, and he saw that it was good. And day by day, as we see the revelation of his creation, we see that, that God spoke, and it happens. And then God said, let us create man in our image. And so we recognize that this morning, that of all creation, we have been set apart, created in his image. We were, in, we were created to do his will, to walk in his ways, to be fruitful and multiply, to have rule over all of the earth. And we recognize the sinfulness, we recognize the fall of man and disobedience, that everything was affected. We can, can't help but look at whether you're listening to the radio, the news, look on television, watching the news, when we see everything that happened, it is a result of the fall of man, of sin coming into this world. But the hope that we have is that one day we will see our Redeemer, our Creator, our God, and when we do, He is going to make all things new. So that's the hope that lies ahead. You continue on and we see that, that God was overcome with the wickedness of man. And finally, He couldn't take it anymore. And so he gives instructions to a man named Noah who is righteous. And in giving instructions to Noah, he says, you're going to build an ark. And he gave instructions for the, for the collection of the animals that were going to be taken in. For 40 days and 40 nights it would rain. And the wickedness of man, at least physically, was, was washed away, except for those contained in the ark. But sin was not defeated at that time. And see, while we see that Noah was righteous and faithful to what God had called him to, it wouldn't be long where we see the, the sinfulness of man come out uh, through his, his sons. We see that man continued to grow in numbers. And as we look in chapter, 12, chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, we see uh, man coming together, planning, scheming to make a name for themselves and to build a, a tower that would reach into the, into the heavens. And God looks at it. And there is the mixing in, of, of languages and with that, the scattering of, of people throughout, throughout the world. 
So that's where we have come to at this point this morning. And now we're going to look at this faithful God and his dysfunctional kids. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your love. Your love is perfect, amazing, it's marvelous, it's unending. And uh, God, I pray that as a result of seeing that love revealed throughout your word, that it would be the desire of our heart that we would make you our first love. And out of that, Lord, that we would continue to desire and grow in our love for one another. Spirit, reveal your truth to us, and may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was young, I remember watching a movie on television. It was called A Man Called Peter. And if uh, you ever had a chance to see it, uh, I, I was just mesmerized by the faith of this man. Perhaps it was his Scottish accent. Perhaps it was his playful smile. Perhaps it was the simplicity of his preaching. But whatever it was, his prayers were, were just twisted with boldness. Peter Marshall is remembered as one of the most beloved Senate chapels in American history. Marshall immigrated to the United States, arriving at Ellis Island in 1927, only 19 years before being named Senate Chapel. Prayer offered, uh, he pastored in Georgia, then at Washington's New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. On January 5th, 1947, he was named Senate Chaplain, and his prayers immediately touched the nation. There's one prayer I remember of his that I remember reading called the, prayer, the Bifocals of Faith. And again, this was offered before the United States Senate. It was November 24th, 1947. I would love to hear it prayed in our parliament this day. God of our fathers and our God, give us the faith to believe in the ultimate triumph of righteousness. No matter how dark and uncertain are the skies of today, we pray for the bifocals of faith that see the despair and the need of the hour, but also see further on the patience of God working out his plan in the world that he has made. So help thy servants to interpret for our time the meaning of the model inscribed on our coins. Make our faith honest by helping us this day to do one thing because thou hast said do it, or to abstain because thou hast said thou shalt not. How can we believe in thee, or even want to believe in thee, when we do not, do not do anything thou dost tell us? May our faith be seen in our works, through the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The bifocals of a man that could look at the condition, especially the heart of the, uh, the spiritual condition of a nation, and in that moment, look at the immediate, but also be able to look ahead at what lies ahead. The bifocals of faith. Last week I talked to you about the fall that I had the previous week. I'm going to share another fall this week. It didn't happen this week, in case you're wondering uh, that I'm coming to some sort of condition that is, at, just, uh, that is uh, really plaguing me. But I have bifocals. Okay? How many, anybody else here have bifocals? The first Sunday that I had bifocals, we had a, a, a lady, I guess an optometrist, uh, in, uh, in our church in Waterdown. I went and had my eyes tested, and I remember that uh, she got these glasses, and I thought, wow, all of a sudden, reading was easier and everything like this. That Sunday morning, I remember I walked out of my office 
the door. Some of you remember some of the churches that you've been in, that my study would have been here. I opened the door. I walked out to the platform. There were stairs coming down, and there was about three or four stairs. And I was still getting used, and I somehow I looked down like this to see the stairs, but I was looking out of the wrong lens. And anyways, it was another fall from grace as I crashed down the stairs and sort of gracefully tried to catch myself on the banister. Uh, But I say that because when we look at the bifocals of faith, I think it's important that we have them in the proper order. While we have a faith, a, a, a faith, a hope and a faith in Jesus Christ for what lies ahead, an eternal hope, the bifocal that we need to have really focus is for the next step. When we are walking through the scriptures and when we see it this morning, we are looking at a man named Abraham this morning. And as I look into his life, I see that there was a man who was blessed and promised much. And it lay ahead of him. And God would be faithful. But Abraham needed to watch his step in the, in the present. No different than we do. We have a hope that lies ahead But we cannot be walking ahead. We need to be walking in the moment. Abraham is one who uh, I believe, uh, I know, was was blessed by God. And we look at Hebrews chapter 11, and chapter 11 in Hebrews says this, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham would call to go to a place he would later receive as 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 his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his house in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. God chooses whom he will because he can. It is God who makes people special. It is God who does the extraordinary with the ordinary. God equips, gifts us with skills and talents and the provision for his call. And so we see in Hebrews chapter uh, 11, and as we walk through the book of Genesis starting in chapter 12, that Abraham steps out in faith and is compensated with great promises of blessing. And if you were to look at those first three verses in in Genesis chapter 12, they say this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. In this call on this man's life, there's a sevenfold blessing. God says, I will make you a great nation. God said, I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here, is, here are the promises of God to Abram. 
God is faithful. And Abraham has, has taken the step of faith. God has made this covenant with Abraham. But we're going to recognize this morning that in the scripture several times it refers to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant that is given to Abraham in, in chapter 12 is also, given, is also given to Isaac. And we see this in chapter 21, verse 12. Where it says, but God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And so again, the, the continuity of this covenant that has been made with, um, with Isaac, with Abraham and then Isaac. And then we go over into chapter 26, and we see those words in verse 3. Stay in the land for a while, and I will, I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands. I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. This is God speaking to Isaac. And then later on in chapter 28, again we see God is faithful to his promise. Not just to Abraham, not just to Isaac, but now through Jacob. In verse 14 of chapter 28, he said, Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and the north and the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is the covenant of, of God that he is going to be faithful through one generation after another. And as we're walking through the book of Genesis, we see that there is this covenant that is continuing through Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. And it's a covenant that we see through the scriptures. That is the mark of the faithful God that we're talking about this morning, that he is faithful to his covenant. We are going to look at Abraham. And interesting, because here's a man that steps out in faith. Here's a man that was tested by God and, and passed with flying colors. But he had those moments when he strays from his focus on God. And, that, and it's in those moments that I recognize Abraham as one of those dysfunctional kids of God. Let's be clear this morning as we're thinking about what faithful, faithful and faithfulness, unfaithfulness, faithlessness. Faithfulness is to be full of faith. Now, that's going to be deep for some of you, but that is faithfulness. Okay? We look at unfaithfulness, and it's to be not full of faith all the time. There are times when our faith falters and is weak. Then there is faithless, and that is without faith. Despite the way we are, through it all, God is faithful. God remains faithful. And so this morning, we see this, this, uh, this God that has created us, as we look in the chapter in Genesis. The God who has revealed himself to us. He is faithful. God is unchanging. He cannot change in his nature, and he, his, his, he is true to his word. That is, that is our faithful God. He has called us to, to, to worship him. That's what we've been created for. And so now we are taking a peek at this uh, dysfunctional label, and um, our society is good at labeling people. Uh, it, it's interesting because it's, if uh, we, we throw these words out, and I, I got to admit, I, you know, if someone would say that I was dysfunctional, I'd be going, I, I don't think I am. 
Okay, I just I don't like that word. Maybe others are, but I'm not. So by definition, what is dysfunctional? It's just not operating normally or properly, deviating from the norms of social behavior in a way regarded as bad. And so I would say this morning, well, as I look at scriptures, when sin affected all of mankind, we have all deviated from the norm. The norm was that we would be perfect in the way God has created us. But sin has tarnished that. Sin has broken that relationship. And so in that way this morning, if you can accept that definition, that because of our sinful nature, the scriptures make it clear that we have all sinned, none of us is perfect. Then in a certain way, we're all dysfunctional. And we'll just leave it at that. We're not going to go any any more deeper um, explanation of dysfunctionality. Okay? But we have deviated from what was intended to be the norm. God is faithful, but we have the ability to deviate from his design for us. The Hebrew word for faith, faith is, uh, faithfulness is quasid. It's, uh, it's merciful. It's to be kind. It's to be pious. It's to be godly, good, holy, merciful. That's what it means, the Hebrew word, when you unpack it. If a person is faithful, they, can, they are these things. If a, a person is faithful, they can be trusted. They can be believed. And so this morning, that is where we are. Understanding the faithfulness of our God and that while we look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in your story, you're going to find that, that, that we are no different and that we have the ability to deviate from God's intended plan for our life. But this is about the faithfulness of God, too, in experiencing his grace. So let's look this morning briefly at these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was a man who uh, had a wife named Sarai. Her name would become Sarah when she was given the promise of God that she would have a son. But it's interesting because when you look at chapter 12 of of the book of Genesis, you see that that Abraham has called out. He's called out by God to go to a land that that God had promised him. Now, at that particular time, uh, we are looking geographically in the area of Turkey. So we're up in that, that sort of northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. We're above what, what we will see through the scriptures as the promised land. Of, and Israel is to the south. Egypt is off sort of southwest. But that's, that's, where, that's where Abraham's uh, family were from. He was born in the area of uh, uh, the Ur of Chaldees and would move to Haran. As, as he moves, moves there, uh, God calls him out. And God calls him to go to a land that had been prepared for him. I thought, why would God do that? Because most Bible scholars or historians look at that particular area of the world at that time, and they say that this was sort of the, the, the main core of commerce. It was, it was a, a well-off-to-do place. You know? And so that's where he's coming from. But I think it's important that we, we get the idea of why God would call him out to go to another place. God did not want to bless him in an area that man had that prospered, in an area that man had produced. God was preparing to bless him in a land that God was going to prosper for him, that God was going to bless. And so we see that there's this man who's going to step out, and he's going to, he's going to step out in faith. 
He does that. I'm not sure how many of you have, have taken that step. It's a huge step where suddenly you decide that whatever you're doing, you're going to stop and you're going to trust God to lead you. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're going to do. Uh, but that's what Abram is doing. He's heard God's word and he says, God says, go. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. And all those other blessings. And yet, Abraham, he does it. And he travels. Well, we see that Abraham has has a problem that's facing him in his travels. While Abraham is um, obeying God, is focused in God, is, let's, I'm going to say, is worshiping God. He's living in a pagan land. He's traveling, and we see in verse 11 these words as they are going down to Egypt to live. They're what, because there was a severe famine. Verse 11, he says, He was about to enter Egypt, and he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will, be, I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So sure enough, this is their plan. This is their plan, that as they go there, that that's the identity that she will assume. Well, things take a turn for the worse. Because Pharaoh, uh, is, is, uh, his officials uh, have seen, see, they see this beautiful woman, and they saw her, and they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, and all men's servants, camels. And... But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So Sarah, Pharaoh summoned Abraham, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that it took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. I think it's incredible that Abram, on one hand, would take a step of faith to go where God was preparing him to go, not knowing but really just dropping everything, sort of like the fishermen when Jesus called them to follow them, and they, said, they just dropped their nets and went. And here, here you've got Abram, who's called by God, and he goes, and he's got the faith to believe that God is going to do all these things, but the first sign of danger, there is this, 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 this scheming. It's, uh, there's this lying. There's this deception that takes place. And we see that Pharaoh is inflicted, and recognizes that something is wrong here. I think it's important that we learn from that we learn from um, from what happens here. Abram needed to recognize that if God called him and God said he was going to bless him, that God would protect him. He was going to provide and protect for protect him. But in this moment, he fears, so he schemes. Obviously, God needed some help with this plan. But no, he didn't. And there is a trust, there is a trust and, 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 and a lesson and a deepening of his faith that God is in control and God 
will watch over him. The story is told of a uh, of a private uh, of a, a capable lawyer whose name was F. E. Smith, and he was a British Attorney General from 1915 to 1919. On one occasion, he cross-examined a young man claiming damages for an arm injury because of the negligence of a bus driver. Well, when he was, in, when he was cross-examining this, uh, this young man who made this claim, he said to him, will you please show us how high you can lift your arm now? The young man gingerly raised his arm up to his shoulder, his face distorted with pain. Some of you parents can probably remember times when your when you, when your children would would go through, and it's just, you know that awkwardness, and it's just, the pain's unbearable. He said, "Thank you." He said, "Thank you. I appreciate you doing that." I said, "Now, could you show us how high you lifted before the accident?" And the young man eagerly shot his arm up into the air. <laughs> the young man lost his case, but you see, there's there's this whole idea of deception. There's this deception where you know, the, the truth is not, is not being dealt with. Deception is to mislead by a false appearance, to falsely persuade others. And you know, it goes hand in hand with lying, that a false statement uh, made with a deliberate intent to deceive. It's an intentional untruth. It's a falsehood. And so here we have uh, Abram, who's in this position where one hand, he's stepping out in faith and he's following God, and yet when trouble starts to appear, or at least the threat of trouble, he chooses to do what he thinks is best. I could quickly go into chapter 17 of Genesis, uh, and you would see that uh, God has made this, this promise that Sarah will have a son. And when we, when we see this promise... Uh, the scriptures let us know in chapter 17 and 18 that Sarah laughed at God. Three visitors have come before them. Three visitors. And as you're looking, you're going to see that the Lord speaks. Whenever we see in, 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 the, in, the, uh, in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, the, the angel of the Lord, or the Lord speaks when it's a visitor. Scholars refer to that as a uh, is uh, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. So before Jesus came into this world as a child, there were times throughout the, the scriptures that scholars say, this would have been God himself, the son, that, that Sarah was facing, that was speaking here. And so, in fairness to her, uh, God's been speaking to Abram. But now this word comes that, uh, that surely that she will have this, uh, this son a year from this time of these visitors appear. The Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Are there ways in our own, are there in our own ways are, are there times that God says something and maybe like Sarah in a certain way we actually laugh and go, really? I mean, it's, it's, again, it's a test of faith. She's been promised that she will have a child. She laughs and says, really? You know how old I am? And yet the word here is, is anything too hard 
for the Lord. I bring these two stories up of Abraham only to say that again that if the focus was kept on the eyes of their faithful God, there would have been no need for deception. And there would have been no need for awkward laughter. Really, God, I'm going to have a child. Because faith would have intervened. And I think that's important for all of us this morning. When we look at, we're looking at God's dysfunctional kids, that we can appreciate that there are times when we are sort of following the same suit and we need to be reminded of the faithfulness of our God and our need to trust and put our faith in him. Isaac is, uh, I guess you could say it, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And we only have to look down a few chapters and we see that the repetition of Abraham's sin, as Isaac says, Rebecca is his sister. Sometimes more is caught than taught. And, uh, of course, this would have been years later. One of the lessons for Isaac, too, again, is to remember here that God is a covenant God. If God said it, he means it, he'll be true to it. And as we used to say, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. And so this morning, look at the promises of God's word. We're looking at a covenant that, 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 uh, that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what are some of the promises that God has made in his word? What are some of the promises that he's given you? And I would say this this morning, cling to them. Trust them. God will not renege on his word. Quickly, I want to go down to Jacob. Jacob, in chapter 25, uh, we see him with, uh, with Esau. Esau has been out uh, uh, and he's, he comes back in, in this, in, into this uh, area where, the, where uh, Jacob was. Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. So Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Jacob, uh, Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh, I think there's a bit of favoritism that's sort of sneaking in here. Um, what does favoritism usually do when it starts creeping into family dynamics? Nothing positive. We're going to see it next week as we look at the life of Joseph. Joseph, who, who was, uh, was, certainly was one of the favorite sons of, uh, of, uh, of Jacob and how favoritism cost him. But we see that there is, there is this dynamic here. And then it carries on. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew... Esau came in from an open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Now, I, I, I don't know, maybe I should have milked it more when I was a kid. But there were times that I knew that I had something that both of my sisters desperately wanted. Ever been in that situation where you had something and... No, I'm the only dysfunctional one here. Okay. But here's the situation. I remember there were times when, when I had something. I said, oh, please, 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 can I have some? I said, no, no, please. And there was a begging, and it was like, what can I get? Well, it, it might mean a week of doing the supper dishes, and that I'd be off, whatever. But think about the extent of what, we, what is happening here with Esau and Jacob. Jacob is, uh, Esau is in a situation 
where he's got this incredible amount of hunger. And he says, look, I'm about to die. You know, you ever said that? I'm starving to death, okay? You know, and, uh, you know, and maybe he was at that point. But he has asked by Jacob to swear to me first the selling of his birthright that, that he would receive from their father Isaac. He was the oldest. He was entitled. Uh, he, he was going to receive this birthright and this inheritance. And yet he is willing to receive something to eat. And he gave up his birthright. Well, long story uh, short, um, Isaac is in his last days. Isaac is, is getting ready to, he's nearing death. And Isaac is calling for Esau to come and get his uh, blessing. But it says in verse 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were weak, that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. And Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day, the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to, to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like. Bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I got, that I might bestow upon you the birthright that is due to you. Obviously, this is something that, that Isaac isn't aware of, that there's been this deal made over this meal that cost Esau his birthright. And so here you have this, this setting where Jacob calls and says, go out, come back and prepare that meal that you know I love so much. Let me have the blessing of that meal that I might give you the ultimate blessing that a father can give his son, the, the birthright that is due unto you. Well, here, here are the other dynamics that are taking place. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son. Remember, we talked about this that Isaac uh, has some sort of favor, I, I would say, towards his oldest son, Esau. But Rebekah loves Jacob. So when Esau left for the open country to hunt for this meal, Rebekah says to her, to her son, Jacob, look, I've overheard what is happening. Here's what you need to do. We need to prepare a meal quick. We need to serve this meal quick you know, and, uh, and, and get it to your father before Esau gets back. And so this, uh, this woman, she's a schemer, you know. And as she said to him, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that as, as he said, Jacob says to her, well, my, my, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man of smooth skin. So as I draw near to my father, he might not be able to see me. Our voices might sound alike, but he's going to want to feel my arm, and he's going to go, okay, that's not Esau. And so, of course... She has a plan that he will bring her uh, that uh, that he will bring her some of the the hair uh, from from the goat skins, and uh, you know that they'll be able to, to put this on him. And there's this deception that is going on here. There's a favoritism that is being that has been shown through this uh, through the the raising of these boys between uh, uh, mom and dad. But in this moment. The blessing is about to be known to Jacob. And we see that the plan takes, takes place. Jacob and uh, um, Isaac 
bestows the blessing only for Jacob to return with a prepared meal and wonder what's going on. You see, these are the patriarchs, the ones that are referred to at the scriptures dozens of times, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were called by God, covenant people. Blessing was to be known to them and their descendants. But to a faithful God, they showed that there were times that they were willing to lie, scheme, be deceptive, all that they might gain what it is that God alone could provide without any of that. This morning, what is the good news out of all of this? What is the good news as we look at these three lives? And while one hand we sort of exalt them throughout the scriptures because of the covenant God has made them, what is the good news out of all of this? The good news is God is faithful and he still works through us and sometimes in spite of us. God is faithful. I so appreciate the music that was picked, picked this morning that we were singing. We were sort of reflecting God's faithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is, faith, he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. In Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 and 23, Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and we talked about that. What promises have God given you? The Apostle Paul says to the church of Corinth, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. This morning, I want us to recognize the faithfulness of God. In recognizing his faithfulness, May we be a people that will be steadfast in our desire to trust him, to walk in faith, and where what we don't know and what we can't see, that when we leave that to him. That we will trust him with our bifocals of faith for, the, for what is needed in the moment, and then with that other bifocal, that we will have that glimpse of the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Chuck Swindle in his book, Abraham, One Nomad's Journey of Faith, says, God doesn't use our difficult circumstances to find out what we'll do. He already knows what the future holds. He uses tests to reveal us to ourselves. Abraham stepped out in faith, walks into a foreign land, suddenly fears for his life because of the beauty of his wife. And in that country where he could be killed and someone else would take his wife, he assumes the position of a brother because a brother would be seen as a guardian, someone that is protecting his sister, and he would be spared. But God has called him to go to a land that he had prepared, to blessings that lay, lay ahead. And the call was to trust God, for God would be faithful. Our God is a God of grace. To be like him is to move beyond people who are saved by grace and to to be a people who are characterized by grace. Let us pray.